Welcome to Conservative Patriot Nation, new members and returning members. I'll be your host tonight, Patriot Mike, and bringing you very a very special guest, Judge Gerald Brown. Before we get into the show, I'd like to recognize a couple of our sponsors, Mike Lindell and MyPillow.com. If you go to MyPillow.com and use promo code CPNN, you'll get up to 66% off your purchase. And last but not least, I'd like to recognize the late, great Dr. Zelenko. He's left us a lot of autoimmune system boosters. And if you go to ZStack.com and use promo code CPN, you can get up to 5% off your purchase. And last but not least, I'd like to bring on Judge Joe Brown. Thank you for joining us tonight, Judge. Okay. Uh, Can you hear me? I can hear you loud and clear. Well, I can't see, so I... Yeah, this is uh, pretty much an audio podcast. Okay, so then there's no video to it. Okay, good. I'm good to go. So, Judge, before we get into uh, the nitty-gritty and the good stuff, um, I see you're running for mayor in Memphis, and, and we, as of late, we've been seeing how crazy our states and cities are. Um Can you let the audience know why would you be the best candidate and what are some of the better changes that you'll be doing for for Memphis? Oh, I'm the best. I'm basically the only one that's got the effective leadership. See, leadership is not sitting in an office talking about you're going to have some program that you're going to start up uh, that you don't have a clue about and then hiring people at great expense to play bureaucrat who don't have a clue either. It's about leadership. In other words, inspiring people to want to do something, to show them how to do it, to follow you as all of you do it. You have to be the drum major. You have to be the commander. You have to be the chieftain. You have to be able to get out and deal with the people face to face and say, this is why we need to do it. Follow me. And you have to also have the wisdom and discernment to know how to do that and what they need to hear, not necessarily what they want to hear. And you have to figure out how to get it done. And if your objective is to just get yourself in a place where you can get money in your pocket or in the pockets of the cronies who have financed you, then you're not doing your job properly. Now, I would suggest everybody that if you are have a local situation where people are asking you to support them. There is a place you can go to. It's called followthemoney.org. Followthemoney.org. Enter the person, the area you're in, and you will find out who's been paying for them, who owns them, or who does not own them. And it's very informative. Wow. So that's a first step. That's something you can do. And by the way, I expose that because nobody owns me but the people. I say when I'm running, I want you, sir, in the mayor's office. And the way you get in the mayor's office is to get me in there because you will be running the city through me. I am for the people. A vote for me is a vote for yourself. A dollar for me is a dollar for your own interest. Absolutely. You know, uh, some of the most important things is, you know, the way that uh, we see these uh, evil people that have 
infiltrated our government. They're using a mind control um, type of situation. But what they felt, and they do that because they don't want our the citizens to realize, well, we need to demand more job creation and better education. Forget all this other noise that they're talking about, because that's the only thing that's going to make a community prosper. And uh, I hope the people of Memphis really uh, wakes up and, and really realize that they have someone that is speaking truth and someone that is going to definitely fight for them and not tell them what they want to hear, but do the things that's going to better their life. And Yes, uh, you're exactly right, sir. One thing I'd add on to that, propaganda is what it is. And if you tell a lie long enough and loud enough, you can get anyone, including the liar, to believe the lie. Uh-huh. One of the things that has happened to us is a tr- is a fulfillment of something Julius Caesar said 2040, yes, 2060 years ago. He was talking to Mark Anthony, and he had just been selected to be Rome's dictator for life. And Mark Anthony was saying, how would the Roman mob receive this? In other words, the common people of Rome. And he says... Give them bread in circuses and they won't care. In other words, feed them and entertain them. And we're certainly well fed considering the overweight nature of so many of us. And we certainly have entertainments, thousands of channels and venues through which we can get instant gratification of our needs to be entertained or distracted. And we don't care what's going on. So I would suggest to everybody that's listening, if you're interested in what happens to you, take charge of it. Stop allowing what's going on to go on. Use your mouth to not just talk about frivolous matter. Talk about the things that are of real consequence. If you can recite stuff about the NBA If you can recite stuff about NFL, MLB, and you can't recite stuff about things that impact your day-to-day existence, something's wrong with you. Learn the rules of the road. And by this, I don't mean the roadway that you operate your motor vehicle on, that too, but I'm talking about the roadway of life because life and where you live and the government that you get is like a highway. There are the fast lanes and there are the clowns that get in the fast lanes and go five under the speed limit and everybody's got to go around until you get a jam built up because nobody can get around anymore. And then you've got those who are hazardous about the way they operate, those who drive so slowly and need to get off of the highway and get on a surface street because they can't handle the fast lane. So. <laughs> We have these analogies to life. Pay attention. Take charge. It's up to you. You have to be brave and courageous and understand that the world itself is not a safe place. So there is no way anyone can guarantee you a safe life. You have to make that yourself. You have to take that into your own hands and prepare yourself to provide and protect. And I have a long-term mantra, motto. Uh, protecting womanhood and promoting manhood. Uh-huh. Which we see that they're trying to destroy that and they're trying to destroy oh, yes. that so they can take control of uh, humanity. 
Well, um, that too. We have these people who want to destroy the fabric of society because what they want to do is an anathema to historical society. So they want to destroy it so they can substitute their way. But their way is not a good way because it abandons too many human virtues and things that are realities for the comforts of self-deception that is subject to a move to deceive all. We cannot allow that to happen and we have to take charge of our circumstances again. Exactly. You know, and one thing's for sure, you know, <clears throat> I'm half black and um, during that whole pandemic is when I really had time to sit back and, and really uh, have some time out and disconnect the NBA, the NFL, MLB, I, I took those detachments off when I started seeing the whole racial push for BLM. And at, I'm like, wait a minute, they're destroying black communities like in the city of Milwaukee where elder black grandmothers and grandfathers go get their medicine. They destroyed the Walgreens and then they destroyed all black businesses and there was a black woman on the news and she goes, you know, she says, I put my whole life savings in this business and they're coming to the black community and they just destroyed my business. I don't even know if I can recover is when I started to, to, to really see the grand scheme behind the whole fraud. And it, it's really terrible on how they use racism for political gain and purposes and a lot of our people that are not educated to information, they fall trapped to it. Instead of questioning, like, wait a minute, how all of a sudden did these politicians start caring about black people? They're wearing the Ashanti tribe clothing, taking a knee, which that tribe was kidnapping black people and slaving and, and selling them as slaves in Africa. It's like, you know... Um, that whole mind control, somehow we have to break those shackles off the minds of the people because they don't want us to unite. And, and it's that whole two wings of the same bird. You got people, oh, I'm a Democrat, I'm a Republican. And as long as the citizens are fighting, they're just taking our money and enslaving us. I mean, being in Memphis, do you see there's a, a way that you can really help them see the truth behind the fraud well yes and it's definitely fraud see blm that's what we used to call when i was in college back in the 60s pimping or hustling the movement <laughs> uh, the first point in their mantra of what we believe that they took down when myself and others started attacking them on twitter was Quote, we are for the destruction of the traditional nuclear family. And it went downhill from that. So that grandmother, they were trying to destroy her. She was trying to pass on generational wealth. Those people who had businesses, they were trying to deal with their obligations to a family or to people that they had a a responsibility to. They were trying to do those things that allowed them to be self-sustaining. No. What did we get in place? If you look at what it says in their disclosure, and it's still on their site, you just have to dig to find it. 
it says for every dollar you send them, one third goes to Act Blue, which is a Democratic Party fundraising uh, mechanism. One third goes to their associates and affiliates, they call them LGBTQIA+, and one third goes to BLM, so I suppose you can get the founders' expensive properties out on the West Coast, and they can take vacations and pay enormous salaries to the ones close to them. And meanwhile, what do we get? Nothing. And in fact, people who say the concept's nice, well, let's abandon the concept and refine it a bit since we've heard it pimped out and misused. Instead of BLM, let's say BFM, Black Folk Matter, Black Families Matter, Black Fatherhood Matters, Black Finance Matters, etc. You can make a whole long list and there's no way you can pimp that out. But Black Lives Matter was corrupted. It started off as something of some merit, but we have these triggering words and all you have to do to get some of us evoked into doing the wrong thing is uh, attack it as white supremacy or something else and throw that in and we don't deal with reality anymore. We are too much in the NBA, Atlanta Housewives, let's see, NFL, MLB, and uh, Pose, and P-Valley, and other assorted nonsense, and we don't pay attention to reality. But now, the real reality. The other thing, too, is that when you do these kind of things, be careful what you're putting yourself into because you're setting yourself up to fail. You Mm -hmm. are trying to tell people that we don't want to be real. We hate ourselves. And when we hate ourselves, we act like the fools that are trying to get us to hate ourselves because they Mm -hmm. also hate themselves. They don't want to have the courage to deal with having to raise the next generation. They don't want to be men. They don't want to be women. They want to be something else because they're so off into self-hatred. They uh, hate what should be on their birth certificates. They don't want to act like men because being men means that if you happen to be on the next Titanic uh, and it's going down, you have to say, ma'am, you and your child, uh, have my seat, I'll drown with the boat. Nowadays, we have those who would put on dresses, and actually a few did when the real Titanic went down, so they can sneak onto the lifeboat instead of acting manly. We don't want to train these boys in how to be that kind of man because you have to start real early. We're not into fatherhood in the home or the hood. And that's bad. There's no manhood in hood or hallway. And by the way, most of this insane violence is not brought about by men. It's by males who have a reached physical adulthood, but don't have the socialization and acculturation necessary to behave as proper men. Because if you are a man, You make where you live a better, safer, more secure place filled with economic prosperity, sense of purpose, morality, and ethics. You are brave and courageous, but you are otherwise men of public peace, dignity, and order until the time occurs or comes when you have to be otherwise. Mm -hmm. You must train your mind, your body, and your soul for this so when you look in the mirror in the morning, you can say, were you a man yesterday? 
Are you going to be a man today? Are you going to prepare yourself today to be a better man tomorrow? If times are hard and a lot of adversity is giving you a rough way to go, then be proud that you have the opportunity to conquer adversity because some of our antecedents had to slay some very savage 450, 500-pound adversity known as Simba with a wooden spear when they were 13 years old to be worthy of further man training and being inducted into tribal manhood. So if a 13-year-old mm-hmm. boy can handle Simba, then we damn sure can handle the adversity that we face. But we whine about it and talk about there's no hope and We've got this thing now circulating, what is it, 2020, 2053, when black folk will no longer be part of the economy. And it will be, no, uh-uh. I'm not letting that happen from what I'm doing right now. And nobody has to let that happen. That's a punk out thing. That's just mm-hmm. saying, hey, man, I'm going to sit on my couch, man, and smoke this blunt while I'm paying my big mm-hmm. game, man. Because white supremacy, man, ain't no hope, man. Ain't no chance, man. Just cut the check. And you don't even vote for people that are likely to even consider that. And then the people that you think are going to cut the check, they aren't even the ones. And then it gets down to politics. I ain't been bothered with politics. Yeah, but hey, that's the political game that they don't want you to understand. Don't get involved because you will be subject to it anyway. And if you don't believe it, Next time you go to the zoo, spend an hour or two watching the primate uh, areas, the baboons and the chimps. They have politics that's much like uh, the human version, and we're primates. But they've got another little thing, too, that you need to be aware of that's lacking in our so-called leadership today. The alpha individuals may fight for dominance, but... The interesting thing is, is when it hits the fan and there's a leopard leopard that wants to eat one of them, the higher up you are on the alpha scale, the closer you are to that leopard. So that's your job to protect the people or the entities that you are being alpha over, not just to sit there and pose about it and sit at a desk. You have to actually leave. So when we go to the polls, we have to remember that uh, we can study what everybody else has done throughout history. And in this country's history, periodically, every ethnic group just flops around and votes for the other side just for the hell of it. So no one side gets accustomed to them being there to support them no matter what. Because if you always support one party, no matter what they don't do for you, and you always are against the other party, no matter what they try to do for you, then neither party has an incentive to do damn near anything in return for your votes. (laughs) One will get it anyway, and the other one ain't going to get it anyway. So you just lost in the middle, and you punked out. You're like a pet dog or something. You wag your tail for master, and whether the master is evil or nice, as long as he pats you on your head occasionally, scratches your behind, then you know you're feeling good and you wag your tail. Yep. That's definitely been going on, too. You touched on some key points, you know, and that's, that's, I really don't want to make it about the black community, but that's something that's really, uh, 
dear in my heart because it, it took me to move out of the community to really see the games that's played, you know, and they want black folks distracted. They want to flood the community with drugs. They definitely want them to help uh, populate the private owned prisons. And they want the, you know, they use these celebrities to bring this fake black culture to the black community that none of that stuff is, is really our culture. If we want to try to find our culture, we got to go back and look like you were talking about with the tribes in Africa and, and look how the the tribes operate, not these the Africans now that are being like um, that are now living like people in America. They're bringing cities to them. But the actual tribes, that's our culture. And then you had people like Lyndon Johnson sending and uh, males with suits on talking about if you get the, the father out the house, we'll give you some extra checks. Broke down that that father from being in the household. People watch the news and they're like, man, why are these kids just killing people? And they you ain't got no father figure. You know, they're mentally hurt. They have pride. They ain't going to admit to it. And it's chaotic. And if you look around, I had a cousin, she's like, you know, we got to stop spending money in the white neighborhoods and we got to keep it in the hood. And I just politely told her, I said, if you examine what you just said, you know, your heart's in the right place. But the Arabs and the Chinese and the Indians damn near owns everything in the hood. That money goes to them. It's either going into the, for their family or it's going to their country. And they're not investing in the hood. What we need to do is demand education, better education and job creation. Because when we start getting educated and start having more jobs in the community, we could be more successful. But sitting here talking about, you know, and that's why they want us on that whole racist topic. Um, and it's it's like they they play distractions and games. So the majority doesn't figure out the scam because once once the black community wakes up they know that they have a world of trouble on their hands and and they definitely don't want us to wake up i mean we're awake but you know i got some family and some family and friends where it's like if they just woke up they could realize how empowered they could be but they can't see past the, the lies and the distractions and then Hopefully we can get mayors like you in there so that example can really touch other cities and states because uh, well, it's real critical. Let me give you a reality. I learned over 50 years of dealing with criminal matters, criminal justice in courts. Um, everybody is impacted by this, but we, black people, become scapegoats. So when everybody else is troubled and there are increasing uh, levels of interpersonal hostility and aggression, we are a safe scapegoat, even if it's only serving as a vicarious scapegoat. We also become the guinea pigs for social experimentation. Uh-huh. And we become figureheads for something like when we 
got into basketball, we kind of took it over. Same thing with football, same thing with baseball, sports, stuff like that. Those things that are overtly masculine. And we become surrogates for the scapegoat when we become good targets to attack as masculine objects because there are those who want to destroy masculinity, the masculine principle. Now, the yin-yang principle, yin-yang, if you want to call it that, you know that circle that's got a white drop shape in one half and then a counter black drop shape in the other half. Mm-hmm. And what that stands for is there are some things women do very well, some things men do very well, and then there are some things that women can do a little bit that matches what men can do well and vice versa. And a few things neither can do that the other can. We're not equal in what we can do, but we are equal in terms of value to the human race. We need to understand that. But there are those who hate the fact that they're not strong men. There are those that hate the fact they're not normal men. There are those that hate the fact that they aren't men. And there are those who hate men. And then 55 years ago, we had a growing body of people that hated that they thought war was caused by men. So in the intervening time, we have had uh, changes in the way media gets presented and who controls the entertainment and then the news media. And then we get the politics that have been jointly occupied by this collective group that hates manhood for one reason or another. And they have concertedly propagandized very effectively to get rid of it. And what they've got is chaos. See, you hear this term toxic masculinity thrown around. I heard that on college campuses back in the sixties, but they were saying all masculinity is toxic. So the way to get rid of it was to start off a little at the time, but you see, they claim all of these problems are the result of toxic masculinity when actually the causality is the lack of masculinity. The child is not socialized and acculturated as a youth who is on the way to becoming a man. He's granted the opportunity to grow as an uncultivated weed. And he grows up without having those manhood things put in him. So he's not socialized and acculturated. And he does drive-bys. He shoots up the hood and he shoots up the hallways. He doesn't protect his community. He drops out of the picture and he sets up a situation or a situation set up where like over the last 20 years, only 28% of each year's high school graduates of all races in this pot are males. Only 32% of the college undergrads are male and only 36% of the college grad students are male. And only 44% of the workforce is male. You've even got a crazy situation now where 25 and under, if you consider all ethnic groups in the country, wow, there are more boy virgins 25 and under than girl virgins. 
Americans. And then we get this other thing where 82% of the American public, that's all ethnicities in this pot, under 25 are born out of wedlock. Mm -hmm. Last statistic the Department of Defense came up with, 2011, they issued some white papers talking about why they were having difficulties with recruitment. And they indicated that we, they, could make you physically strong, but they couldn't make you mentally tough. You had to come in that way. And they attributed that to the lack of fatherhood in the families. So we have a thing that they came up with 42% of Americans, that's all ethnicities, 35 and under at the time were born out of wedlock. And they noted the 80 plus percent for the contingent 25 and under. So something's going wrong here. Humanity came from cave to condo based on a certain formula of family, father, mother, or if somebody is missing due to death, accident, unavoidable absence, then everybody stood in to compensate. Now we don't have that. So we have a real life mess and the drive-bys are caused by boys who didn't get properly associate, uh, socialized and acculturated with their duties to protect where they live. And uh, we've got a mess. We've got hallways that get shot up because of this. And by the way, it's not weaponry. I look at that as a scapegoat, a convenient <laughs> scapegoat, like they have this thing of, we need to defund the police, but <laughs> we have these boys out of control who won't act right, who's supposed to protect us from them, but they get their armaments to get shipped in, smuggled in with the drugs that the war on drugs won't stop, so they're armed, but law-abiding people want to follow the law, so they're disarmed, so who should protect them from the disarmed boys who don't grow to manhood, and you defund the police. It's like, uh, to use a phrase, uh, it's got all kinds of connotations. But the term is rough trade. It's like some people like rough trade and uh, they want the whole society subjected to it because, well, anyway, I won't go there because everybody's <laughs> got a right to do what the devil they want to do in their own bedroom. That's their absolute right. But sometimes when you try to sweep everything else that brought us from cave to condo under the rug or throw it out, you have a problem. Mm -hmm. And we kill anything on this planet. We need to send $15, $19 a month to save the tigers. They <laughs> once used to be the masters of the jungle and not anymore. $15, $19 a month to save the elephants. One of the most magnificent creatures. We need $19 a month to save the whale. $19 a month to save a poor dog from freezing in the cold are sent and send it to ASPCA or $19 a month to save a Negro from being exploited, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So somebody's getting their guilt feelings assuaged by contributing to a charity and somebody mm -hmm. is getting suckered into being something that, uh, begins to perceive itself as helpless. No man is helpless. No woman is helpless. But we have to operate together so that we achieve what we can achieve. See, too often we have this thing that is put in us by those who hate themselves 
that what somebody is naturally about is somehow reprehensible and that somebody should aspire to something else and they aren't happy when they do or even when they get it. And we get problems. We get girls who start off being mothers that I've had them in my courtroom that started off the latter part of their ninth year on earth being mothers and 10, 11, 12 year old mothers or some wow. of the people that I had in my courtroom or who were in my courtroom and started off as nine, 10, 11, 12 year old mothers. Wow. And you have babies having babies and they don't know what they're up to, what they're supposed to be about. They have no clue as to how to raise a young male to be a man. And uh, it all goes downhill. I remember 50 years ago when I first started practicing law. I grew up in Los Angeles, went to UCLA Law School, did an intern thing at a DC think tank back then. And then I got a job that sent me on a community lawyer fellowship to Tennessee. When I got here, the first kind of case we had to deal with was getting the check cut back on when the social worker cut it off because there were two or three out of the seven or eight baby daddies involved that were trying to teach the children that wasn't supposed to happen. We oh. had frivolous accusations through juvenile and family courts. He's the daddy because out of the ones that could be the daddy, uh, and this was before Jerry Springer and such like got on television and it was what it was, so fatherhood kind of went out of the wayside, and we had people talking about boys are evil, and you don't need men around because they just mess up the kids, so you have this thing now, I don't need a man, I don't want a man, I don't want to be a man, and then we get recruiting for perverts who want to seduce children to satisfy their pedophilic uh, urgings. And it, it's not a healthy thing when we don't teach the children the fundamental aspects of being human, which is we live on a planet that is per se dangerous. So in order to deal with staying in the condo instead of back in the cave we have to be brave and courageous and adept at handling what's going on and we have to remember we can kill and eat anything we want and we're quite able to kill ourselves unless we control ourselves so self-control is out the window it's all about emotive response to whatever gets you worked up and that's not healthy no not at all um, thank you for shedding light on a lot of that stuff. It's definitely needed to be heard, and hopefully it touches a lot of people. Um, <clears throat> if we can, I'd like to go into the uh, <laughs> the real identity of Barack Obama, a.k.a. Barry Satoro. Um, a lot of my family members, when I'm, I'm trying to tell my mother and, and some siblings, you know, they're, oh, you know, everybody wants to attack him because he's black, and I'm like, no, 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 no. <laughs> There's a lot of truth out there. So for those people that don't believe it, that thinks that, you know, he's being attacked because Trump said, you know, show your birth certificate. Could you help the audience understand this man's true identity? Who are we talking about? I didn't hear what you're saying. Somebody tried to call me then. Go ahead. Oh, sorry about that. 
for all the people out there, like I get pushed back from my mother and certain siblings about Obama when I try to tell them, you know, there's there's truth out there about him being Barry Satoro and his true identity. I, I get no Ben's true identity is Barry Sotoro was adopted by Lolo Sotoro, which was the undercover name for a person who was at one time international vice president for Standard Oil. Lolo Sotoro also ran the death squads for the Indonesian government back in the late 50s and early 60s. He had muscle. He had connections with Standard Oil. Standard Oil wanted to get into the oil reserves in Indonesia, so they propped him up. And he became oil baron of Indonesia. He also ran spy networks for the U.S. government in the 60s and early 70s. And remember, the NOM was going on at that time. And those spy networks were run in the People's Republic of China, North Korea, Vietnam, North Vietnam, Cambodia, Laos, and where he lived uh, in Indonesia. So Obama's maternal grandmother was the CIA conduit through her position as a vice president in a Hawaiian bank to the transfer of funds to CIA interest in the Southwest Pacific, which included Lolo Sotoro. She became acquainted with him and she introduced him to her daughter who had just delivered Obama less than a year and a half before. They quickly got married. Lolo Sotoro adopted Obama before he was two. Now, meanwhile, Obama's connections through his grandmother. The grandmother was married to an individual who is the grandfather, maternal grandfather of Barack Obama. That individual was first cousins to first cousin to President George Herbert Walker Bush. Mm. All right. George Herbert Walker Bush had a son who became U.S. President George Walker Bush. And George Walker Bush, Barack Obama, and George Herbert Walker Bush, three presidents of the United States, were cousins. Also, and this is an interesting one that I think needed to be explained, but the press didn't dare touch it, was that Vice President Dick Cheney was also President George Walker Bush's cousin. Oh, he was wow. cousin to Barack Obama, a.k.a. Barry Sotoro. He was cousin to George Herbert Walker Bush. You see, so this is interesting. Now, um, you get further into this, and you've got an individual who, I guess, was a hereditary Superman who was late of Cape Cod when it was still a colony. And this individual was the great, great, except for grandfather for seven U.S. presidents, one vice president, several U.S. senators, and several actors who include Brad Pitt. Wow. And um, some interesting, interesting uh, 
other folk in America. Now, this man's name was Sam Hinckley. He had been a Frenchman, a Huguenot Protestant. He was exploited and persecuted by French Catholics, so he indentured himself for several decades to someone who paid for him being brought over to the colonies to be an indentured servant slash slave. And by the way, the First Amendment that talks about three-fifths never mentions black people. It just says for purposes of apportioning representation in the House of Representatives, a census shall be conducted every 10 years. And based on that census, three-fifths of all persons who are held in slavery or involuntary servitude shall be counted toward that number. In other words, you count them for purposes of your representation, but they can't vote. And that, by the way, is why the census we had in 2020 was the first one in my adult life, which was the fifth one I filled out as an adult that did not ask my citizenship status nor the citizenship status of my parents. Why? Because California, Illinois, and New York wanted to maintain the number of congressmen they had by counting illegals wow. without concern about their status. And guess what? The illegals can't vote. So uh, they would be getting represented without a vote, but California would pick up or maintain its number of congressmen rather than having to lose a few. See, it's not trying to get illegals to vote, though New York is coming up with this thing of saying non-citizens can vote in state elections. <laughs> uh, New York City already passed that ordinance. So, I mean, that's another corruption. But there are all kinds of little sneaky things that if you knew the rules of the road would be quite obvious. Now, I can lapse off into another one, which is Article 2, Section 4 says the president and vice president may be impeached and if convicted, removed from office. And the 12th Amendment says if impeached and convicted thereof, you can no longer hold the political office. The three bases are bribery. The other basis is treason, and that's the only crime defined in the Constitution itself, and it's very specific. And the third one is misdemeanors and felonies in office. So when you look at it, let's say what they did with Trump twice is they sent over to the Senate nonsense. They said, one, he obstructed Congress, and two, he abused his authority. Well, let's take the last one. Abuse of authority is nowhere listed as a crime under U.S. law. It's not bribery, and it's not treason. So it's dead on arrival with the trier of fact to with the U.S. Senate. Next thing, he obstructed Congress. Well, aside from the fact that any time a president vetoes an act of Congress, he, I imagine he's obstructing them. But you see, Article 1 of the Constitution says the Congress shall consist of two chambers, the House of Representatives and the Senate. And these bozos kept taking the stuff that the press had been used since at one point they were the only elected officials, the senators weren't. They assumed that when the press said congressman, that meant the House of Representatives. But since the Constitution says otherwise, it also includes the Senate. 
as soon as that article got to the Senate, they just said, hey, any of you guys in here feel like you got opposed or obstructed? Nope. Well, that one's out. So you wasted a lot of time. But what they wound up doing is they went back in and impeached him without a successful conviction again after he was no longer president of the United States. So that set the precedent. So now we have this thing with what did Joe Biden do when he was vice president of the United States? And under the precedent, did he commit bribery? He admitted so himself. Mm-hmm. In a January 2018 C-SPAN interview, which I watched several times, he says, I guess I committed bribery. I told <laughs> Ukraine that if they didn't back this guy off of investigating my son, since the president put me in charge of it, I was going to see to it that they didn't get the $14 billion in U.S. loan guarantees. That's extortion slash bribery. By the way, Ukraine revealed two weeks before the 2020 November election, the Ukraine Supreme Court ordered a long, lengthy organized crime indictment to be unredacted, and it showed that Joe Biden as vice president and his son, Hunter Biden, as representative of a gas company doing business in Ukraine had been indicted for multiple counts of extortion, bribery, subornation of treason, subornation of perjury, etc., etc. Now, let's fast forward a little bit in the Constitution. Article 6 says ratified treaties will be part of the supreme law of the land and have to be enforced by all judges, state or federal. Now, We have some treaties that involve Interpol. Ukraine is a member of Interpol. We have some treaties that are ratified with Ukraine directly. And the treaties say, in effect, that we have to assist each other in the apprehension of criminal elements, their detention, and their extradition. So since Ukraine has, in fact, indicted the vice president, now president of the United States of America, on multiple counts of a felony organized crime indictment, technically, after he's out of the White House, I suppose he should be taken into custody by the U.S. government and delivered to Ukraine. So when we look at what's going on in Ukraine, is that honest or is it, once again, Biden trying to bribe uh, himself and his son out of indictments and be dismissed so they don't have to extradite him. And anyway, it's interesting now that the U.S. Senate is controlled by the GOP, not the Senate, the House is controlled by the GOP as to whether or not they'll go through the song and dance of properly indicting Joe Biden. Now, I'll say something else. Fox did a special that you can still catch. It runs for a week worth of episodes. And it was a mock proceeding that they held um, that I participated in as the judge presiding over the mock proceeding. And it involved the three Hunter Biden laptops. There wasn't just one, there were three. And we had the repairman in, and we went over transcripts of the thing, and he had had those done when he was trying to get the FBI interested, which they weren't at first. 
and it reveals all kinds of nasty things that would raise any person's hackles. The person playing the defense lawyer was a former Manhattan prosecutor for, I think it was 15 years, and he had been a defense lawyer for a long time afterwards. And the other person had been a prosecutor for 19 years and was currently a defense lawyer. And we looked at ourselves and said, man, this is some deep stuff. They could get this guy in this week and get convictions off of this. And then we asked Fox, please don't carry some of this stuff because it impacts national security very gravely. You can't bring this stuff out. That's one thing that's not That man needs to be, yeah, that man needs to be tried for Mm -hmm. a number of things, Article 2, Section 4 matters that he committed as vice president. And since they set the precedent that you don't have to be in office any longer, you can be proceeded against after you leave the office, then, hey, somebody go after him. And then that thing with Hunter Biden, what we were specifically investigating was whether you had a thing with a FARA violation, Foreign Agents Registration Act violation. And they picked a pretty good jury. There were four women and two men. And they were representative of the culture in the New York area. Very representative. And they found that there was probable cause to believe that further investigation should be done for far violations when it came to both Hunter Biden and Joe Biden. And that laptop is a monster. It's enough to get somebody convicted. It's more than circumstantial evidence. Oh, yeah. Little kids on there. Uh, little kids shouldn't be Well, on no, we, we weren't even talking about the porn stuff. I mean, I'm talking about meetings with the Chinese and what you're discussing and who's getting oh, how wow. much money to go along with dealing with what they want. And crackhead Hunter is wow. in there talking to his dad on email about, yeah, I guess I justified my 84000 a month salary without wow. bonuses. How was it, dad? Yes, yeah, son. We had a fruitful discussion on the issues we talked about when we last had dinner. Wow. You know, you're going, wow. So why would they hire a crackhead at 84000 a month, not including bonuses, who had just been discharged from U.S. military for drug abuse and not used any of the available rehabilitation programs that they urge on people. Mm-hmm. So what can a crackhead with no business background provide? Answer, and he says it in there, and the president, vice president of the United States clearly communicates it back. They know that the son has this lucrative position because he's providing these foreign entities with access to the vice president of the United States and through him to the president. And you know, Judge Joe Brown stinks to high heavens. Not to cut you off, but uh, as we've been discovering about uh, Biden having those classified documents in his garage and the Penn Biden University or whatnot, you know, Allegedly, they say that Hunter Biden got a key made for a Chinese nationalist as well. That's national security. Uh, Yeah, they have those kind of issues discussed. And they have White House tapes on that damn thing. Forget the porn. The White House tapes now include video. And there's some very disturbing stuff in there 
with Chinese representatives present in the Oval Office with the president and vice president of the United States in there discussing things with them. Wow. So, you know, it gets really deep now. <clears throat> wow, you know. Somebody needs to look woo. into that stuff. That's you know, what, deep, and that's criminal. Wouldn't you agree, though, if, well, once this, you know, because I believe that the public, you know, this, not all details, but some of this has to get into the 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 ears and the eyes of the public. And, and when that takes off, at some point, don't you think that the militaries has to take action because that that putting this country in look, danger. Look, right after one of those White House tape episodes, if you go to Military Times, there is an interesting discussion by U.S. fleet admirals discussing their disgust with the instructions that they've been given about backing off heavy counter patrolling of Chinese naval vessels in the South China Sea. Oh, which wow. was the discussion of what was going on on these White House tapes. So there was money offered in exchange for going along with that. Now, I don't know what the devil's happened, but let's get back to the classified documents. The latest case to discuss it is U.S. Department of Navy versus Egan, E-A-G-N, and that is a 1986 or 7 Supreme Court case. And essentially, under Article 1, where the president is commander-in-chief, uh, Article 2 and Article 4, where you discuss his uh, role as chief executive and his role as chief diplomat for the United States, the president has unlimited discretion to classify or declassify documents. He can override the entire Joint Chiefs of Staff if he wants to because civilian authority over the military is granted to the civilian commander-in-chief. So basically what happens is that the president may declassify any document in any fashion he sees fit to use. But now the vice president has no such authority. So the documents that are in Joe Biden's possession were acquired while he was vice president. And unless he can come up with a de declaration by the president, Barack Obama slash Barry Sotoro, that those documents were declassified, then he's violating the American laws. Now, the other thing is I have a sneaking suspicion is that some of these documents that are found have a great deal to do with some of what was discussed on the laptops. Oh, wow, I can imagine. That's one of the things. So, yeah. Another thing I would like to pose is Joe Biden has been a civil servant since he got out of school. So how'd he get to be a multimillionaire? I know there's rumors out there that says uh, <clears throat> he was out there in Dallas the day that uh, JFK got assassinated. I don't know how true that is, but they say. Well, there is more to that than or, meets the eye, but. Or he looks like. Let me say Oswald. this. 
No, it doesn't. He looks like Oswald. Let's just say that in an interview of the first detectives on the scene and the assigned investigators for the Dallas Police Department, a discussion I had more than 22 years ago, let's say that they said Lee Harvey Oswald was scared as hell. Uh, Jack Ruby had cancer that he knew he wasn't going to survive. And there were certain other people that were very angry at John F. Kennedy. Uh, we even, I even had a statement I got from Jay, uh, from Lyndon Baines Johnson's mistress. You can always see her standing in pictures of LBJ. Uh, Lady Bird is to his left shoulder standing next to him. She's usually in the next row above to his right. And she said that at a function the night before JFK wound up getting assassinated, the JF, that LBJ was very disturbed. He said, I just heard some very disturbing something. I don't know what the hell this is about, but hell, this is just plain wrong. What's going to happen? Oh. So there were entities that had an interest. And let's say this, I never accepted Lee Harvey Oswald taking that Carcano rifle and making the shot from the book repository Irie at the very top neither did the detectives and one of them who was the first detective on the scene and found a rifle said this is a quote he said when I came in judge I talked to the building superintendent and they had these old time elevators you couldn't just summon them he had to go get them so we were going to have to walk to the top floor well we were in the basement and when you leave the basement, you have to go to the first floor, but there's no continuous stairway. You have to walk entirely across the first floor to another set of stairs. When we were walking across to the other stairway, I was passing the elevators. And as I was passing the elevators, this individual walked past me. It was Lee Harvey Oswald. I said, stop, who are you? The building superintendent says he works there. I said, oh, and at that point, I heard the mechanical pointer on the elevator indicated was coming down. And as I'm standing there looking at Lee Harvey Oswald, I see the elevator come down from the top floor. Somebody's on it and they go all the way to the basement. He said, when I went up there, that's where we found the rifle. And he said, there was always an identifiable fingerprint. Now, based on a congressional act in 1988 and another that supplemented it in 1989, there was a congressional act that was signed off on by President George Herbert Walker Bush that was reinforced by an executive order he issued that was reinforced by an executive order that President William Clinton issued. And they set up a repository on 14th Street in downtown DC, which I visited personally a time or two, and you could request documents in the executive order and the Congressional Act mandated that all U.S. governmental investigative agencies surrender to this repository all records 
pertaining to all assassinations and assassination attempts. And you could go in there, pay your fee, and you'd get certified copies of various and sundry documents. Dallas police detectives showed me the certified copies of some of the documents that they got. And based on those documents, they had a bingo. What was the bingo on? There was an identifiable fingerprint on the buttstock of the Carcano rifle. But in those days, you had to have a suspect. And they got a suspect, and they ran the suspect, and it was a hit. So they knew who the suspect was. The suspect had graduated at the top of his high school class, captain of the football team, the baseball team. He had gone to a prestigious major Ivy League university. He had withdrawn to enlist in the military. He was a decorated hero, came back in 1947. He shot a man in front of a bunch of witnesses six times in the head. He was sentenced to die by hanging, but Shortly before he was hung, the governor commuted his sentence to voluntary manslaughter and put him on immediate parole. He had been subject to investigation as the person responsible for multiple known murders. And interestingly enough, he supposedly died in a one-car wreck in the middle of the Texas desert with no witnesses. He was supposedly buried in a certain cemetery, and based on what they got, they got an exhumation order from a court. They dug the casket up, and there was no body in it. Oh, wow. So this was the person whose fingerprint had been uh, identified as being on the Carcano rifle. Also, interestingly enough, this is another interesting story. The person who was the forensic examiner, chief medical examiner for the state of Texas and did the autopsy on John F. Kennedy, got indicted and arrested for murder. He was the suspect in an attempted murder on an individual who was shot multiple times and set on fire but who survived and ID'd him. He was also turned out to be the suspect on other hits in Texas. He was put in the Dallas County Jail. He was walked over to the jail, well, the courthouse for arraignment. He supposedly attempted to escape, was was shot allegedly between 14 and 15 times. And he was supposedly buried in his own cemetery. He ran a chain of private mortuaries and cemeteries, but when they got an exhumation order, they dug the coffin up. There was nobody in the coffin. (laughs) So interesting stuff. Uh, But that's Dallas. And by the way, we walked through, looked at the pictures and everything else, and they had the actual limousine that was occupied by Kennedy and the governor going around the route over and over and over again. We went to the grassy knoll and it can't be the grassy knoll for one unobvious reason, unless you witnessed the event, well, the scene. And that's, they would have had to have counted on nobody standing on the roadside looking at the 
cavalcade because when uh, the dummies in the car went by, Kennedy's head would have been chest high to anybody standing at the curb. So if you were at the grassy knoll, you would have had to have counted on nobody being there. But where we think the shot came from was the railway bridge. There were seven railway tracks that went across that bridge. There was just one cop on that bridge, and he was looking at the parade based on the photographs that were taken. There were several boxcars that were in an ideal line from which the shot could have been taken, as well as taken through a passageway going through the bridge where old gas lines had been put in for gas lighting at the end of the 19th century. If you stood there, you saw that the limo was headed for the count of nine at a slow speed directly at the bridge. Nobody would have had to establish lead. It would have been point blank. And then after nine seconds, it dropped down and curved gently to the side to go under the bridge. We looked at the limo and the bullet hole is still in the limo windshield. The bullet hole is a clean caliber hole. I directed them to do some forensic testing and they called back to say that I was right. And what was the testing? If you shoot a bullet into such a windshield from the inside and the bullet penetrates going out of the vehicle, it's bulged out like somebody's head hit it. If you shoot the bullet going from the front to the rear, there's a nice clean caliber hole. We lined up some of these rods that they have with the hole and the rods lined up with the railway track, not what was going on with this magic bullet that supposedly came from the Irie. The other thing too, where the glass grassy knoll is, there is a grate and the grate goes down to a tunnel that leads 450 yards, a real long way out under a rail yard into some Texas sagebrush, which was there when I looked at it 20 some years ago and it was there when Kennedy got shot. And they also commented that if somebody took the bolt out of a rifle and dropped it down the grate, you could drop the rifle down there and then the bolt and somebody could have taken off. And the other thing is, is as several of them who were witness to the event said, right after the shooting, there were a whole bunch of cops there with rifles and shotguns. They were Texas state troopers. They were Texas Rangers. They were secret service. They were sheriff's department from Dallas. They were Dallas policemen. And you couldn't tell who was who when a lot of them were in plain clothes. They said anybody could have dropped the weapon down that and somebody else could have gone off with it and absconded 450 yards away on the other side of the rail yard. So they had some interesting conclusions, but they had a suspect. And also there is another thing too. The way they got the name of the suspect is interesting through the documents that they had from the repository for assassination record review on 14th street in downtown DC, 
Billy Saul Estes had been locked up for criminal enterprise and his lawyer uh, approached Stephen Trott, who I knew from LA and who became a federal judge, but was with the FBI at the time or the Justice Department at the time. And he indicated that if the information panned out, then Billy Saul Estes would have got a, got a commutation of his sentence. Well, they assigned the FBI to the investigation and the FBI was implicated. So Billy Saul Estes named this guy as a suspect and indicated that he had something to do with the assassination of Kennedy. Now that's in the government records. That's what the detectives with the Dallas Police Department had and showed me. There were attested copies. Wow. And that's what nobody looked into. And the FBI did the investigation. And Trot's letter back says, based on the FBI investigation, this individual had nothing to do with it. Therefore, we declined Mr. Estes' offer of assistance to the government, and we will take no further action. The Dallas police ran that man's name and they had known prints associated with him. And bingo, that's his print on the buttstock of the rifle. Wow. <clears throat> it sounds like a very well planned <clears throat> um, situation. And what's really suspicious is two people that allegedly were dead or allegedly were buried and there's no body in the casket. That That's very suspicious. Yeah, and I don't get my information hearsay or even read it. I got it from the source. You can see some of these people I was talking to in some of the <clears throat> pictures. Remember the one they took where one of the detectives in the cowboy hat, he's looking surprised and jumping back when Lee Harvey Oswald gets shot by Jack Ruby? Yep. Two of these people talking to me are in that picture. Oh, wow. Yeah, those are reliable sources, and they were there. Yeah, and they were retired <laughs> detectives, and one of them was the first one on the scene at the book repository and is the one that discovered the rifle. Wow. So it that's like the a... source of information for what it's worth. Definitely looks like a lot of cover-up, clean-up, <clears throat> um, that's that's crazy. Um, and one of the problems with what's happened in American justice and what's happened to a great extent in terms of what the government has gotten used to getting away with is J. Edgar Hoover was a sick man. Something was wrong with his head. <laughs> and he was in charge of the FBI for way too long and blackmailed too many people, got too much power, and too often, whenever anything <clears throat> needed investigation, the FBI was assigned the task of what amounted to investigating themselves. And they came back with negative conclusions. <clears throat> like, for example, uh, I was the last judge on that James Earl Ray case. And James Earl Ray, according to the Memphis Police Department's homicide bureau wasn't even in town on the day and the homicide detectors were clear in their opposition to charging him with the assassination of king 
The shot was not fired from the flop house. The detectives excluded that. It wasn't fired from the bushes. There was a big tree standing directly in the line of sight between the flop house bathroom window, the bushes, and the Lorraine Motel balcony that would have prohibited a shot from being taken, but that tree was cut down when the chief detective was there on the premises. And what actually happened is the shot was fired from the fire station dormitory cafeteria. And it was by a two-man team. It was apparently recruited from a sniper school at Quantico, Virginia, where the FBI training academy is also located. And the weapon that was used to kill him was one of five that the U.S. FBI got on invoice from the Department of Defense in late December 1967. Wow. I have the serial number of all five serial numbers for all five and also copies of the invoices that were involved along with the supply of 5,000 rounds of a specially loaded type of ammunition that matched what they pulled out of King's body. Late April 1968, the Defense Department demanded and the Justice Department ordered the FBI to return the five weapons. The FBI claimed on inventory that they had lost one. And the serial number of that lost weapon is a serial number most likely of the murder weapon. The ammunition that they pull out of King's body and the ballistics associated with the death slug certainly matched the type of gun that the rifle that the FBI got on uh, inven well, on uh, invoice in late December 67. They're also acquired from the same repository on 14th Street, which now long no longer is there. It's in Bethesda. And it suggests from the memoranda that are in the file up there in the evidence room in uh, Memphis at 201 Poplar, that the basis for the assassination had nothing to do with King's involvement with civil rights. They didn't care. That was passe, but it had a great deal to do with their belief that he would galvanize the anti-war movement and revitalize labor. They thought those were threats to the country. So that's why they had a big series of interchange memoranda discussing whether or not he would be more dangerous to the country as a live agitator for labor and the anti-war movement or as a dead martyr. And it turned out as a dead martyr was the answer that, well, that was the choice they took. And that's the one <clears throat> that backfired on him. Wow. That's crazy. I, wow. That's, that's, that's bad. You know, that it, as we're starting to awaken and we're starting to realize that a lot of these wars were bankers wars and uh, it was money generated. Uh, it was depopulation and you just take a man's life because you want wars to continue and not awaken people to, to what wars are all about. That's evil. And uh, well, uh, we had the term sacrificial lamb back in the late sixties. There have to be sacrificial lambs. In fact, where you can see it is on uh, Clint Eastwood's character, Dirty Harry in Magnum Force, 
when the motorcycle cops come up to knock on the door and they're setting the cops up. Police are setting one of their fellow cops up to be shot and killed so they can use him for a purpose. And Dirty Harry, Carrie Callahan gets on him and they say, well, there have to be sacrifices, you know, et cetera. We have to have our sacrificial lambs. Wow. So that was a common concept. They had it in a lot of movies then, and that was what was operating. That well, was, we're fighting communism. It's a life or death struggle against totalitarianism and communism. One thing's for sure with this new Congress, a lot of things are being exposed. I mean, they're showing the three-letter agencies working with social media to suppress voices. Uh, you got them working with politicians. I mean, it's really great to see that God is allowing us to start seeing this information. And karma is no joke. And I'm sure those guys on the top, they're probably sweating bricks. And that's why we're seeing all types of weird UFO talk, China blue balloons, tra- trains derailing. It's like a major distraction going on in the world right now. By the way, on that train derailment, <clears throat> we've gotten so inured to propaganda and censorship that we don't pay attention anymore. And right. they did a disservice to us. They dropped the small nuke on that town. Mm-hmm. What happened is that the chain of events goes this way. Somebody in the Obama administration got the bright idea that we could save labor costs on railroads if they installed a very expensive computer system into the undercarriages of train cars so that if something went wrong with the brakes, say, which in prior times would have been called a hot box because the bearings were most likely to overheat, then we wouldn't need, what do you not see in the video? You don't see a caboose. When you see a train going down the track and you have to wait, you don't see a caboose. You don't see people in the back of the train with Mark 1 eyeballs looking to see what's going on. So for 12 miles, the undercarriages very heavily burdened cars had been on fire and sparking and shooting flames, and they seized up, which caused the derailment in these tank cars. Is it polyvinyl chloride known as PVC, which they make pipes out of when you go to a restaurant and you want to take out the container is made of PVC. Half the stuff in your kitchen has a PVC compound in it. No, that's not what was in these tank cars. What was in the tank cars was vinyl chloride, which is a precursor. Vinyl chloride is a very (laughs) vile poison. And oh. it leads to some things that the Germans in World War I tried out for poison gas, but found were too reactive. So what happens is the tank cars are storing this stuff that vaporizes and boils at 8 degrees Fahrenheit, which is 24 degrees below freezing. And what happens is one of the tank cars was lightly punctured and this stuff is fizzing out as it boils so they allege it caught on fire so their solution was instead of rushing in 
hermetically concealed pumping devices and hermetically sealed containers to pump this highly dangerous stuff in. The railroad conveyed to the fire department that it was PVC, which is a manufactured plastic in a liquid form, which it was not. So the railroad and the fire department punctured the other four cars and set it on fire. When you do that, you dump all of this vinyl chloride into the atmosphere. And when it's burning, guess what it does? It mixes with the moisture in the atmosphere and forms hydrochloric acid. It seeps into the groundwater, and when it gets into water uh, uh, like the Ohio River or the water uh, table, it forms hydrochloric acid. What it does is it dissolves your lungs, and people are complaining about coughing and chest pains, and we've got pets and wildlife and fish and domestic uh, farm animals dying within a 50 mile radius when they start breathing out pink froth because their lungs are getting eaten up. That's what's going on with the people. So now it's winter. You've got the hot air rising in the cold winter air up to 35 to 60,000 feet. It's up there. The winter winds are blowing it. It cools off. It gets dense. It drops down 150, 200, 250 miles away. Somebody else is subjected to the contamination. So what happens? The fire department and the railroad are trying to cut corners. And A, they don't have any of the necessary equipment to do something about addressing such an emergency. They have tried to cheap it out and gotten rid of the cabooses and tried to revive a a very expensive idea of putting computers on each and every one of these cars, which they can't afford to do. So we get stuck with Biden's administration and Buttigieg who is in charge of it. And he's one of those, what you call uh, glamour appointments uh, because he has no expertise in the field, but it's of interest to the administration to either pay back patronage or get social advantage by making the appointment. So they appoint him with more concern about his bedroom proclivities than his expertise in the subject. So for two and a half years, we get nobody in charge. We get all of this mess being shipped around the country. And by the way, another derailment happened for the same reason, overloaded tank cars, where the cargo is extra dense because it's got to be cool to keep it from boiling and the cold weather makes it colder, denser and heavier. And we get a real live mess. And we've got several derailments dumping, not PVC, polyvinyl chloride, but vinyl chloride out and about endangering many people. And there are no nearby pieces of equipment to address this problem. (laughs) Wow. Real mess. But we're used to it because we don't demand of the press to carry accurate information as the fifth estate by the way the fifth estate is supposed to be telling us what's going on so we can effectively exercise 
and sell our franchise and self-government in this country. Yeah, they're too busy for ratings and, and making money and, and making false stories and just keeping the people fighting each other. <clears throat> Depending on the media, you know, I try to tell my family, I mean, you're going to get lost on what's going on <clears throat> listening to the media because uh, they, they, they ain't trying to tell you anything that's really going on. And <clears throat> that's why the citizen journalists, you know, people like myself and others have just uh, been activated and realized there needs to be other outlets of information because um, the people that we thought was serving us definitely ain't. And it's an honor to have Well, guess like what? There are two pieces of legislation that have been introduced recently to make it a federal crime to contest the outcome of an election, to question it, oh, wow. or to imply it wasn't fair. What the devil does it? I mean, that sounds like National Socialist Workers' Party stuff. You know mm -hmm. who they were. The acronym is Nazi. Mm-hmm. Well, National Socialist Workers Party, a.k.a. Nazis, using the German acronym. Maybe that's a leftover, uh, leftover issue from Project Paperclip. I think it's been a developing issue. I had a Russian professor at UCLA back <laughs> in the 60s. She said, and she ought to know, she had once been in charge of propaganda for the NKVD before she became a professor emeritus at the University of Moscow, and she was an exchange professor. She said, America is in grave danger of becoming a fascist nation, not from some jackboot-wearing, goose-stepping, uniformed political thugs, but as she put it, from some pink-panty-wearing, long-haired beatniks who would be all too happy to impose the mechanisms of fascism to make it safe for them to be what they are and forget about what you people have come to accept as your due oh, as wow. a democratic republic. And by the way, she told me in 1967, I was her teaching assistant, 67 and 68, she said that Russia is going to become the largest true democracy in world history. We have a plan. And she let me read a translated paper written by Comrade Lenin in 1919. And he said, Russia will not be fit to be a democracy until there are no significant numbers of Russians with a living memory of their enslavement under the czars. The Russian population must become accustomed to and confident in their ability to manage their own affairs, to conduct heavy industry, to be a military force to be reckoned with, and to conduct their own governance. When this happens, and Lenin predicted it would be in the last decade of the 20th century, <clears throat> starting around or about 1990, the Russians would be able to have, and he used the exact terms, glasnost and perestroika that Gorbachev used in 1990. And they had a plan. And they implemented it. So, yeah. I'm still wondering about how much <clears throat> of what we have against Putin 
yeah. has to do with the Ukraine and Biden trying to get himself out from under an indictment. Oh, Biden trying also, to, Biden's trying to get that evidence out in Ukraine on his indictment burnt up. Yeah, and then see the other thing too. Do you know <clears> what <throat> Putin is saying his justifications are? <clears throat> it starts with stopping the resurgence of Nazism. Mm-hmm. You see, Ukraine has a bad history outside of Germany itself, Ukraine supplied more volunteers for the Waffen-SS, which was the military component of the SS, for supplying agents to the Gestapo and for volunteers for the Wehrmacht than any other place outside of Germany itself. They're responsible, the Ukraine, for rounding up more Jews, vagabonds, and gypsies, and undesirables than any other group, and sending them off to extermination camps. Since Stalin and the Soviet Union were what they were in 1945, Stalin prohibited any Ukrainians from being tried at Nuremberg. He said he'd deal with it. So we never got Nazism stamped out in Ukraine. And a lot of those people you see coming over here have been on social media over the years, festooned with all of these Nazi swastika tattoos and such like. And they consume very large quantities of Mein Kampf. So why are we dealing with them? Is it for international peace or is it because our petroleum industry is feeling threatened by the fact that Russia was supplying gas and oil to Europe at a rate we would have found difficult to match? Wow. Wow, that's so interesting. I definitely would love to bring you back on, uh, Judge Joe Brown, you bring a lot of things to light. You bring some information that a lot of people that <clears throat> resist truth need to hear. And uh, it's easier listening from um, a character of your background for some of these people because they've been spoon-fed information. And if a news anchor doesn't say it, if a celebrity doesn't say it, it's not true. You know, it's a conspiracy. So, you know, what I've learned is when they hear it from someone that is well known that they've seen on the television, it's easier for them to, to listen. And it's, it's grateful to have you on. Cause I'm going to send this podcast to all my family and it's a time for them to start paying attention to truth. So I'll, I'd love to bring you back on again. I know we're going on two hours. And I don't want to keep you too much. But I definitely got to have you back on. And by the way, I'm running for mayor of Memphis so that the people can take back their governance. It's time that that happened. We need to get people out of positions of power who have no interest in ordinary people. Mm -hmm. Judge O'Brien, could you let the audience know how could they like how could they help with your campaign or what's the best way to reach you or follow you? 
All right, here's what you do. First off, <clears throat> go to followthemoney.org and find out what some of my opponents have been up to and who has bought them. Next thing, just remember Judge Joe Brown for mayor in 2023 and take the initials JJB at 2023.com. So it's JJB2023.com. And you can go there, find out what's going on. We will be keeping our appointment schedule. You can ask me questions. We just set it up and I'll be starting on that. Uh, first thing tomorrow on answering the questions that you can submit. If you want to donate, we have a cash app. It's dollar sign Judge Joe Brown 2023. <clears throat> and that service. <coughs> I also sell sauce. If you want some damn fine barbecue sauce, you can order it online and it's getting in stores across the country. Go to jjbbbq.com oh, I'm Judge definitely Joe Brown barbecue and you live Judge in... Joe Brown in 2023 you living down there in Memphis I know that barbecue sauce is going to be pretty good so definitely going to give me one of them and I'm definitely going to send a donation to your campaign as well appreciate it sir so everybody <laughs> this is America this is a place that's got a nice rule book and it's not the rule book that's it in error. It is we need to have players who once again can play the game that's in that rule book. And we need to protect that rule book and our country by making sure that we stay brave and courageous. We need to honor men and women. We don't need to be woman haters. We don't need to be man haters. We need to work together because that's how humans got from condo, well, cave to condo. And we'll go back to cave or the rubbish heap if we don't get it together. That will do a lot toward ending the social disorder, the violence in hood and hallway. And you will once again assert responsibility, obligation, duty, logic, rationality, and reason in our governance. So government will be based on policy that deals with the best interest of all and not the pushing of some agenda that's at the expense of the many. Everybody has rights. Let's defend those rights. But also let's all remember that we have a system that does not permit the imposition of somebody's beliefs on everybody else. So let's act accordingly. And with that, I got to go. This has been Judge Joe. Call me when you can, since I'm the one that ran. <laughs> nice. God bless you, Judge Joe Brown. It's been a pleasure. And I'll definitely stay in contact. And uh, hopefully we can get another show going on. Thank you. And I didn't talk about the mayor stuff. We talked about a lot of other things, but you watched me for 15 years on a number one, a number two daytime syndicated show. You saw how I operated. That's how I will be operating there. So contribute a dollar to yourself because it'll be a place you can come to for a good life. It will be somebody that you can govern through who, when he's in the mayor's office, you will be in the mayor's office. So let's make this where it ought to be. 
one of the best places in the country to be, Memphis, Tennessee. Praise God. So with on that, that let me go. You have a good one. All right. Bro. Yes, sir.